Welcome to the Bitcoin Basics podcast with your hosts, Faris and Gordon from CoinCompass.com, enabling you to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins. All resources are in the show notes and description, including our disclaimer. Visit BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com to subscribe and discover other free content. For anyone listening, this episode is visually intensive. So visit our YouTube channel, CoinCompass.com slash YouTube to follow along. We use TradingView for all our charts, and you can sign up for a free account at coincompass.com slash tradingview. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Basics Podcast. It is Ferris here flying solo today. Um, The date today is Monday, the 26th of April. Um, The price of Bitcoin is $51,960. And the block height is 680,650. Now, for today, we have the honor of answering a listener-driven question. So, as you may know, anyone can um, go to bitcoinbasics.help and you can upload a question for the podcast and we will answer it here. Today, we have a question from Amelia. So, I am just going ahead and play that for you. Good afternoon, Faris and Gordon. It's Amelia here. I absolutely love your podcast and have learnt so much from it. It has completely transformed the way I view cryptocurrencies. But although I'm not uh, risk adverse, I definitely pride myself on my current portfolio being quite diversified amongst different asset classes such as property, cryptocurrency, the stock market, art. But having heard about um, having listened to the last podcast with Andrew Howard and learning more about how the US dollar is depreciating, the all the quantitative, ease, quantitative easing going on, that at some point there will be perhaps some economic fallout with our current financial system. And I just wanted to know from your perspective as to what I should be doing to best prepare myself um, for this event. I currently uh, pound or dollar cost average into Bitcoin as well as my other asset asset classes and I just wanted to know whether I need to be doing anything else. Bearing in mind my salary, pensions, everything runs off a fiat currency. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Bye. Well, first of all, Amelia, thank you very much for the compliment. We really do appreciate it here at, uh, at Bitcoin Basics. And again, yeah, and anything that uh, you guys listening want us to cover more or less of, please uh, get in touch. We're a listener-driven podcast. So I want to, first of all, uh, just remind everyone I'm not a financial advisor. I personally have been involved in the markets for over 10 years as an investor and as a derivative trader. Um, and there's some really, really good stuff in here that Amelia is addressing, uh, a lot of it macroeconomics. So uh, if any of you listen to other non-Bitcoin-related podcasts, um, there's some v- two key themes playing at the moment. Big debates um, going on as, is this the end of the US dollar as a world reserve currency? So what I mean by that is essentially we have had global reserve currencies. This is the sovereign nation that will lend its currency to other nations. So right now, the US dollar sends its dollars overseas because if you're buying commodities, you know, gold, oil, coffee, anything like that, you're doing it in US dollar. 
So if you're in Thailand and you're buying coffee, you're not um, you're not holding Brazilian real to buy coffee from Brazil. You're holding U.S. dollars. You would buy those that coffee with U.S. dollars, and then in Brazil they would sell those U.S. dollars into Brazilian real. Same with Turkey, same with any other country. So the dollar, since the end of World War II, has been the world reserve currency in that it's what we use for global trade. Now, the big question here now, is this the end of the U.S. dollar as a global hegemonic currency? So that's a big question that's being addressed at the moment. It is the end of it simply because it's reaching the end of its cycle. But is it ending now or does it have another 10 years so is it going to be a quick decline or a steady decline? Um, the main issue we have is that at least 70% of global wealth is still held in US dollar. So yes, people are finding alternative methods to US dollar. We saw this with the um, new gold exchange that was launched in China, where China basically no longer wanted to buy oil in US dollars. So they set up their own exchange with Iran and Russia, where they could essentially buy um, oil from those two countries and exchange for renminbi, which was backed by gold. So we're finding different systems. Um, the uh, Europe was not happy with the U.S. when the U.S. imposed new sanctions on Iran to trade with Iran. And European banks are trying to find a different way of doing business with Iran. So we are seeing now new ways of getting away from the U.S. dollar. So yes, it's coming to an end. Is it going to be a very, very quick collapse of the U.S. dollar? No, it'll still be around for a while. But people are trying to find a way getting out of it. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Um, I will address um, Amelia's question about her portfolio in a bit more detail. But right now, I just want to give you a bit of a macro outlook. Um so and she referred to a key phrase here, new world order. Now, this is not uh, a new term. This has been around for quite some time. Uh, George Bush Sr. and Ronald Reagan both referred to these terms. So what it means is every 60 years or so, we basically um, have a new system. So we had the gold exchange, the gold reserve, which basically you know, um, currencies around the world were backed by gold. So... We went off that in the um, 70s. Um, we started going off of it before the 70s, but completely went off of it in the, um, 1974. And then we are now running on what's ba- uh, what is a debt-based currency. So we have these whole new economic um, and global systems in place. So we are at the cusp of this one. So we've been running this one now, this debt-based system, since... Um, the 1970s at the earliest, you count before then. So it is, you know, 60 to 80 years going, which is about the time we need a reset. So people thought 2008 financial crisis, that actually was when we should have had a reset, but we didn't. What we did was we went into more debt. Um, and that's where we are now. We basically, instead of letting air out of a very expansive balloon, we just put more air into it. As far as an economic fallout, um, uh, there are a lot of very expensive and even very cheap services out there that will tell you that there is a new bust coming. It's easier to sell fear. Um, and so things are very much inflated. Um, we are seeing two very, very different worlds right now. I mean, um, we have you know people just 
million people dying in India. Um, we have what, what's being referred to as a K recovery. The rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And this, in essence, is not reflective of the real world. How is it that equity markets are at all-time highs, but people are unemployed and we're in a global economic shutdown? Um, it is two very, very different realities that we're running here. Um, I personally am very nervous about getting into um, indices at the moment because they are stretched. But having said that, if governments keep printing money and giving that money to the people, people are just going to day trade because it's so much simpler to do now. And so this is what we've created a, a legacy of day traders stuck at home who don't want to go to work. Um, and it's not their fault. They've just been incentivized to do so. Um, I will look at more detail into the diversified portfolio. So property, cryptocurrency, stocks, and indices. Property, I always like because it's supply and demand. People need somewhere to live. Cryptocurrencies, um, anyone listening to us simply knows that we advocate Bitcoin and Bitcoin only right here. Um, we've gone into detail as to why. Stocks and indices, I will look at that in a bit more um, detail. So let's narrow. That's the big picture. One thing I do want to focus on is what we call the credit cycle. So right now we're at the end of a credit cycle. These credit cycles, same thing. They last about 60, 80 years or so. And what I mean by that is how easy is it for you to borrow money? So the response to 2008 financial crisis was Ben Bernanke, who was the chairman of the Federal Reserve in America, he actually did his PhD on the Great Depression, the 1929 Great Depression. And he basically said what made it last longer was people just didn't spend money because they didn't have money to spend. So his theory was if we give people money, they will spend it. So they created cheap debt. So interest rates went down. You could borrow money very cheaply. So the theory was, okay, you've we're had this huge stock market correction. We've had a housing bubble bust. What we want people to do is to keep spending money. We want them to go out and buy stuff. That And by buying stuff, you're putting money back into the economy. That was a theory. Give people cheap credit, low interest rates. That's going to incentivize them to borrow. What happened, though, is that for the first time since World War II, the savings rate of Americans went up. So the policy at the time was to incentivize people to spend but what did people do? They saved. They thought, hang on, I've just lost my job. The house that I bought is not worth what I paid for it. I don't want to get into more debt. So the, for the first time in 70 years, the, in, the savings rate for Americans went up. They started to save money. And that's not what the policy was predicting. The policy wanted people to spend money. So that money just sat there in the banks. The banks had it and... People were not coming in to borrow it. They weren't getting new car loans. They weren't getting new home loans. They weren't getting more credit cards. So the banks just went ahead, turned around and bought, bought bonds and bought stocks. And this is where we saw that the beginning of this K recovery, where if you had money, then you could buy bonds and buy stocks and you get richer. But if you just lost your house, your home, you had nowhere to live, you didn't have money to to. Um, get into this. They weren't handing out money like they are now in COVID. And now they're directly putting money into your bank account. 2008, they weren't doing that. They were giving it to the banks and expecting you to go and borrow it, but you didn't. Those that did borrow it and invested in the stock market and the bond market did very well. But that wasn't everyone. 
So now things have changed. Now the credit cycle is tightening and it's not because the little people, the 99% Main Street borrowed, no. It's because these bigger guys have borrowed, they've gone into a lot of risk and we've seen this recently with a, with a blow up of some hedge funds which they're blaming the uh, short squeeze on GameStop and Blockbuster Video and these other ones. So we're starting to see some pretty serious ripples in big markets. So the big guys got greedy they over leveraged and now it's costing the little guy. And I'm in New Zealand and I've spoken to quite a few people who have found banks are getting very tight. And they're tightening on the little guy because of what the big guys are doing. So we are going to find it's going to become increasingly difficult to borrow money to get an overdraft. So simply because of the risk that the bigger guys took. So that's one thing. We are at the, we're at the beginning of a new, very, very big credit cycle. The other question right now that people are debating is, are we in an inflationary or deflationary environment? And what they mean by that is, is inflation, which is, um, and I, this is where I dispute it. I think you can see inflation or deflation in different areas, and we'll talk about that. Is inflation going to go up or go down? And what we're seeing is we're actually seeing inflation in commodities. We're seeing inflation in housing. We're seeing inflation in art. We're seeing inflation in a lot of places. We're seeing deflation in your currency. So this goes back to the dollar. Now, to answer Amelia's question, you're going to get paid in pounds and dollars. You're going to get paid in that unless you work for a crypto company that pays you in crypto. You're, you can't just avoid it. You're going to get paid in those things. But to hold on to those things is not worth it because um, I'll link some slides to commodities and they are booming. And commodities is what you pay for. It's what you eat. It's what you build, commodities. And they are just skyrocketing. So what do you want to do with your fiat? Again, I'm not a financial advisor. This is what I would do. How do you prepare for a potential end game scenario? Look, it could be five years away. It could be 25 years away. We don't know. The conservative approach is hard assets. Um, gold, silver, property, Bitcoin, I would actually still put in there and have a long-term time horizon. Um, so these is what I would be looking at. I would be looking at stuff that people need. They need um, to eat and they need to live. So you look at your commodities, agriculture, energy, and um, anything involved in, in basically building or driving and moving and eating. Those are your hard assets that people will need. Uh, property as, at the same time. Sorry, com those commodities aren't hard assets. They're soft commodities or energy commodities. But hard assets um, like, like property is an excellent one as well. So these are things where supply and demand will always be demand for people to eat, for people to travel, even if it's locally, and for people to live. That's what I'll be putting my money into. And I will put up a, a link of um, if you were looking at investing indirectly in like ETFs for these things, which is a bit more risky. Um, but the beauty about investing in ETFs is they're not as volatile as the underlying asset itself. So if we'll put up like, you know, chart of platinum, chart of oil, very, very volatile. But the ETFs themselves are not as volatile. So that's a safer way. Um, but yeah, hard assets. And I'm echoing the sentiments here of Rao Pal, who we had on the show. And this is exactly what he said he's doing. He's just moving to hard assets. And he went very, very um, uh, much into Bitcoin and have a long-term time horizon. 
So right now we've had a huge credit run. We've had this huge bubble in equity markets. It's too late to be getting in now, in my opinion. Um, I might be wrong. We still could have a melt up, but it's way too risky. Um, my personal view is you want to be in hard assets. These are things where they are hedged against deflation and inflation, where it is in the need category, not the want category. And the need category is live, eat, move. Those things. So not gyms, um, not all these kinds of things. When I say move, I mean energy. So what's it going to take to feed you? What's it going to take to keep you warm? That's what you want to be investing in. So I hope that answers your question, Amelia. Um, Please hit us up if it doesn't. Um, Some of these things I'll mention a bit more detail in another Bitcoin and Markets podcast. But for now, um, thank you very much for listening and I'll get Gordon to sign us off. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking and following helps this content remain ad free. Until next time.